Welcome to the Move Forward Podcast with Dr. Kim Moss. We are here to move you forward in the call of God for your life, your career, and your ministry through prophetic insight, practical teaching, and powerful conversations with influential leaders. Never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward. Are we living in end times? Is the book of Revelations about our time today? Well, let's find out. Welcome to Move Forward, Dr. Kim Moss. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Moss. Today, I'm coming to you again from Studio B with Part B of a series that we started last week with Dr. Craig Keener. Craig Keener, PhD, Duke University, is FM and Ada Thompson Professor of Biblical Studies at Asbury Theological Seminary. He is author of 33 books with more than 1 million copies. That's a lot of books in circulation. The books have won 13 national or international awards, including six in Christianity Today. These include the IVP Bible Background Commentary of the New Testament, which I use all the time, and major academic commentaries. In 2020, Craig was president of the Evangelical Theological Society. Craig is married to Dr. Medine Masunga Keener, who was a refugee in her home country of Congo for 18 months. Her experience and their romance appears in Impossible Love, put out by Chosen in 2016. You can find more about Dr. Keener and his resources at craigkeener.com. Keener, K-E-E-N-E-R. And so Dr. Keener, here we are again today. I'm, I have been excited to finish our conversation about the book of Revelation. I can't tell you. I wanted I wanted to say this last week, but but was really important for us to build the foundation so that we could talk about some of the things we're going to talk about today. But I have in this last several months, I have heard people talking about all kinds of things. They're looking for Gog and Magog, and they're they're looking for the rapture. They're looking for the return of Jesus. They're asking questions about the book of Revelation um, like never before. And I know this sort of is cyclic in, in our history. I, you know, I haven't, I haven't walked the earth for hundreds of years or anything, close, but I haven't worked, walked the earth for hundreds of years, but I know that, that in times of trouble, this seems to always come up and people begin to ask these questions. And so I think it was really important last week when you brought up the fact that the book was written to people who were suffering and wondering about how it's all going to end really. And the book was a, was supposed to be an encouragement to uh, hang in there because Jesus wins. That's just my Kim's interpretation. But it was also a call to the unrepentant, those who hadn't yet given their lives to Christ and and um, and called him their Lord to repent. And, um, and so this is really important for our time. So in those ways, the book of Revelation does speak to today, um, but it doesn't always speak the way we want to make it speak isn't that right that's what we've been talking about right it speaks in greek with a hebrew accent and yeah and of course we get the translation uh, and we we use the background and so forth to understand what it meant to them so we can see more clearly what it does mean to us Okay, so let's get started because we don't have tons of time. And um, so I want to ask you about our first controversial uh, yeah. thing. And that is- I teach a 40-hour really... course. A 40 yeah, hour it's course. a 40-hour 
<laughs> and I wrote I wrote the NIV application commentary on Revelation. So um, I have a whole lot more material, but yes. So I did samples. I did not know that. Yeah. So in the NIV Study Bible. No, the uh, NIV application commentary series. Okay, NIV application commentary series. You can find his entire study on the book of. Wow, that's good to know. I want to know that too. Okay, so tell me about Babylon. What what is Babylon in the symbolism? Because we found out last week that there's lots of signs and symbols in the book of Revelation. Of course, Isaiah and Jeremiah and others prophesied about the downfall of the Babylon of their day. Well, Babylon fell. Revelation is writing after that, but Revelation is telling us about a new kind of Babylon. Uh, but it's it's analogous to the first Babylon. Now, who would have fit the role of Babylon in John's day? It says the city that rules over the kings of the earth. John's day, there was no city that actually ruled over all the kings of the earth. The Parthian em emperor called himself king of kings and lord of lords. The emperor of Rome saw himself as ruler over the kings of the earth, but, you know, over their parts of the earth. But in terms of the churches in Asia Minor, they would have thought of Rome, especially. And this is a mercantile empire on the seas. It also speaks of the kind of imports in Revelation 18, 12, and 13. It matches the very kind of things that we know from, from um, Pliny the Elder's natural history written somewhere in the 70s, so a couple decades earlier. These were the kind of imports that Rome imported, um, but also it's said to be the city on seven mountains or seven hills. And you just start randomly reading through Roman literature. Rome was the city on, on seven hills or seven mountains. In fact, every year they had a celebration of the, called the Septimontium, which was celebrating Rome's founding on seven hills. But more importantly, you go back to the book of Daniel, it speaks in a, in a few passages about four kingdoms. The first kingdom was Babylon. And, and by the first century, their understanding was that the fourth kingdom there was Rome. Rome was a new Babylon. So Jewish people already used Babylon as a symbol for Rome in their own, their own writings. It probably functions that way in 1 Peter 5.13, where where Peter says he's writing from Babylon and uh, all the evidence points to him actually writing the letter from, from Rome. So in terms of, of John's day, they, you know, they're reading this, okay, Babylon, the evil empire, that's, that's Rome. It's the successor of the first Babylon that destroyed our temple, that enslaved our people. Well, now Rome has done the same thing, but does that exhaust the significance of Babylon? I mean, Rome fell a long time ago, but evil is still in the world. But if you look at in, in Daniel chapter seven, it's got these, these four beasts and they represent these four evil empires from Babylon to Rome. But in Revelation 13, you have a beast that blends together the descriptions of these four beasts. It's not just Rome. It's the spirit of evil empire. Rome mm -hmm. sat for the rule in John's day, but the spirit of evil empire is still around. But in, in, in Revelation chapter 18, John, this exiled prophet on the island of Patmos, has the audacity to report hearing 
a funeral dirge, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great over mm -hmm. the mightiest empire that his part of the world had ever known. The, the future doesn't belong to these empires. They lie in the dust. We don't have to be afraid of the empires today either. Their fate will be the same as the fate of empires before them. But the kingdom of God will last forever. And the, the small persecuted sect of which John was a part, the, 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 the followers of Jesus, less than one-tenth of one percent of the Roman Empire in his day. But he, he foresaw that this movement would spread to every kindred and tribe and people and nation around the world. And look what's happening. The Church of Jesus Christ is stronger today than it's ever been. John was a prophet indeed. Wow, I, I think that's... So Babylon represents any evil empire that would rise up to, to do what? Persecute uh, Christians, to uh, subjugate people, to oppress uh, any peoples. I mean, because I think that God, I think God views oppression of any peoples, not just Christian peoples, mm -hmm. as evil because they're people created in his image and his desire for them is to come is to come to faith to be restored to be rescued to be redeemed to be uh, saved from death and sin and satan mm -hmm. and uh, so an evil empire i'm 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 taking license here to interpret for my people but i would think that an evil empire is an empire that does not recognize god and does not rule and reign according to uh, God's will and desires. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that I mean, right? It's, yeah. It's the spirit of evil empire. It's the spirit of the world system that values okay. power over others rather than the way of the lamb. So you've got the beast versus the lamb. And it looks like the beast wins. Everybody wants to align with, with what looks powerful in the eyes of the world. Babylon in the book of Revelation is called the great city but it's, it's nowhere comparable to the New Jerusalem. Yeah. And so Babylon is described as a prostitute. Uh, back in, uh, in, this, uh, in antiquity, they, they described uh, different cities as women. That's how they portrayed themselves on their coins. So Babylon is described as a prostitute, the New Jerusalem as a bride. And it's those who won't settle for the temporary gratification of a prostitute who, who live in faith to be the bride of Christ. Uh, Babylon is decked out with gold and pearls, it says in, in Revelation 17 and 18. But the New Jerusalem, the streets are of gold, the city's built of gold, its gates are pearls. The whole, the whole city is said to, to shine like a precious stone with God's glory. That the prostitute has nothing to compare with the bride. Babylon has nothing to compare with New Jerusalem. We either live for this world or we live in faith for the world to come, live with an eternal perspective, live for God's glory and God's kingdom. <laughs> and, and something ironic about this prostitute, she's got, uh, I think it's seven heads and 10 horns, just like the dragon does. I mean, isn't evil lovely when you see what she really looks like? <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's that's that that's an amazing thought, and I 
And so then that that makes me what well, one of the things you said was about, you know, the seven mountains immediately came to my mind, you know, all the talk right now about all the the seven mountains and the seven mountain mandate and, you know, and, and, and it's not that I don't I I. I, I think that there are pillars of society. I believe that Christians ought to be ought to be uh, active in civic duty and in civic responsibility and even even uh, uh, activism, you know, uh, on behalf of oppressed anybody. Um, however, I just am not sure that I would say that we we need to fight to put a, a Christian on top of every mountain. You know, because I think that it, it gets too close to a political agenda. And I think that we can get confused there about what what we really want to happen. Not that we are not to be uh, concerned about what's going on in the nation, of course. So I think that's a whole nother conversation for another day. So did you have something you wanted to say about that? <laughs> yeah, the, the, yeah the, the seven mountain mandate idea is not based, I hope it's not based on Revelation 17, because it doesn't, it's not related. Re Revelation 17 isn't, isn't talking about that. So tell me, tell me, Craig, about, I think some of the main questions I've always heard, even since I was a little girl in, in, uh, in later Sunday school, you know, as a, as a young teenager, uh, I've heard many different things about, the 144,000 who will be saved. And the other thing I want to get to before we before we go is what the mark of the beast is, because I've heard that come up even just in the last six months or so. Yeah, the 144,000 are described in Revelation 7 and again in chapter 14. Chapter 7, you have them in the, in the first eight verses. Um, you can either take them literally or symbolically. Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, they mixed it up. They took it, you know, the number literally, but they didn't take it to be male Jewish virgins. So these can either be the Messianic Jewish remnant or they can be symbolic for the whole church. Now in favor, well, there's not really time to go into this in detail, but um, in against it being the Messianic Jewish remnant, they won't be just male Jewish virgins. I mean, they'll be, they'll be you know, Jewish women too. So uh, in favor of it being symbolic is, is this, that the next vision seems to interpret it. And there it's, it's an innumerable multitude out of every kindred and people and nation, of course, including the Jewish people. And, and the reason I say that, uh, sometimes the second vision would interpret the first. Also, you've got a lot of symbolism in Revelation. Uh, the the lampstands in Revelation represent the the churches. Well, lampstands were the basic symbol for Judaism throughout the Roman Empire. But also, you've got two texts that are alluded to in Revelation seven verses nine to seventeen, Isaiah twenty five, and Isaiah. Uh, the other one is Isaiah forty nine ten, and those both talk about God leading His people to springs of living water and God uh, wiping away the tears from their eyes. Well, in both of them, it's God in Isaiah. In Revelation, it's God and the Lamb showing the deity of Christ. But also, it's now being applied not just to Israel, but it's being applied also to those who've been grafted into the heritage of Israel. So it, it's applied to all those who are, are following Jesus. In Revelation 14.1, they are standing with the Lamb on Mount Zion. These are the new Jerusalemites. And, and 
are we are we going to be new Jerusalemites? You know, this is the the number it says of the servants of God. Are we servants of God? So in, in Revelation 21, we see the numbers used again. And this is the big clue to this. Some translations, they translate it in miles. Some translate it in kilometers. You've got um, the New Jerusalem. It's 1,500 miles wide and long and high, <laughs> which is pretty high since Mount Everest is only like <laughs> five miles high. You know, the air is getting thin already. You're really going to need an elevator for this. But... <clears throat> But in, in, in Greek, it's 12,000 stadia times 12,000 stadia times 12,000 stadia and a wall of 144 cubits. That's only like about 200 feet. The wall doesn't fit the New Jerusalem, but it doesn't fit the dimensions that are given. But it's a reminder, 12,000, 144. This is the city of God for the people of God. The hundred thousand of the New Jerusalemites were sealed because as God is bringing judgment in the world, God is not angry with, with them. <laughs> They're his servants. And so um, also in Revelation 14.1, where you have the hundred thousand with the name of the lamb written on them, it's, it's contrasting with what's said right before. Um, for those who are good with math, right before chapter 14 comes chapter 13. 13 verses 16 to 18 talks about those who receive the mark of the beast and, and the, the number of the beast written on their on their hand or their forehead. You either get the mark of the beast or you get the name of the lamb. You side with one or the other. You gotta oh. serve somebody. Oh that I've never heard that before. That's that's new for me. And I I have to say it's so it's so relieving, isn't it? I I have I have had friends who have been part of the the uh, religious group that feels that 144,000 is sort of a, a, a um, an actual number, a literal number and and you know they come door to door and uh, and I've always felt sad for it for them because how desperate that must feel and how do you really know if you got in that number you know and um and i've never interpreted the 144 that way um but they do you know and this is the danger i think when we begin to read scripture sometimes literally, sometimes symbolically, taking it out of context, not understanding what the what the author originally meant, you know, and and not really looking into it in those ways, because then we we don't receive the the relief that we should. You know, this is a this is a comforting passage of scripture that that when I've taken the name of Jesus and I have, when I have called myself a Christian, when I have yielded my heart to the Lord and acknowledged that he, he truly is God. Um, then, then I am part of that myriad of, of people who are from every tongue and tribe. What a, what a relief, what a comfort. So we should be getting comfort that like that, not, not causing us such fear. And I, and I really think today we're in a time, aren't we, Craig, where the fear mongering <laughs> to make us do something is just staggering right now. And people are are so afraid. And yet 
God is saying, you know, he's been saying through scriptures all along, here we have an eternal word. No, see, it it's going to end well for you. And you may suffer for a time, of course, but it's going to end well for you. That's that's beautiful. So having taking the uh, getting the vaccination means I didn't get the mark of the beast. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. The, the, it's just totally contrary to the point of Revelation to say that that would be the mark of the beast to get the mark of the beast is to give loyalty to the beast, to the world system, to, to get some sort of medical intervention. I mean, Jesus is about healing. <laughs> He's about <laughs> providing food for people. And, you know, he can do that multiplying food for the 5,000, or he can say, gather up the fragments that remain so you won't need a miracle for your next meal. You know, we work for our daily bread as well as pray for it. There's nothing wrong with using natural means like immunizations and so on, but that's that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that's good. So we have just a few minutes left, probably about three and a half minutes. And uh, I want to, can you talk about Laodicea in that time or is there not enough time to talk about that? Um, that's really, that's really a short period of time, isn't it? Do you, do you want me to say something else about the Mark of the Beast before that? Yes, I would <laughs> love that. Yes. Revelation 3.12, we have his name written on us. We're, we're pillars in the temple of God. And of course, most of us don't think we'll be literal, you know, things holding up the ceiling, but we'll be pillars in the temple of God with his name written on us. Revelation chapter 22, we'll be a servant serving him before his face. His name will be written on us. Um, Revelation 19, Jesus comes back with a name written on him. Revelation 17, you have Babylon the Great with a name written on her forehead. Well, she isn't a literal person. <laughs> She's an embodiment of something. And so, you know, not all the things written literally. Now, obviously, somebody goes around and starts trying to stamp something on your forehead. You know, don't do that. <laughs> but for every generation, not just the last few years, for every generation, the point of this, the principle behind this is, who are you going to be loyal to? Those who say, well, you have to be part of our network to buy and sell or whatever. Or Jesus, the one who feeds his people in the wilderness and so on. Uh, Laodicea, where he actually invites them to come in and eat with him. You know, the, the different churches all have different tests, but all of them are called to overcome. We don't get to choose our test. Um, some face persecution. Laodicea, they had too much self-confidence. They were looking to themselves. And, and Jesus says, you think you see, but you're blind. You think you're rich, which actually Laodicea was in terms of material wealth, but you're really poor <clears throat> and, 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 and so forth. But there was one thing that people in Laodicea always complained about, and that was their water supply. They had to pipe in their water from far away. Cold water, by the time they got there, was lukewarm. Hot water from the hot springs at Hierapolis, by the time they got there, it was lukewarm. Everybody hated lukewarm water. Jesus is saying, you taste to me like that water you complain about. You're lukewarm. You make me sick. You make me want to vomit. Um, because they were so like, hey, we are rich. You know, we, we can do this on our own. And Laodicea was like that. I mean, they had an earthquake there. And they turned down the emperor's offer of disaster relief funds because they said, we can do this on our own. Jesus says, depend on me, come to me. Sometimes we think that the cold and the hot, you know, uh, cold is bad and hot is good. But 
uh, cold water and hot water were both valued for drinking. They would drink hot water like tea at banquets. But lukewarm water was disgusting. And he's saying, you know, you guys are disgusting, but I invite you to come in and, and welcome me to come in and dine with you. That's beautiful. Well, Craig, would you would you pray for us and uh, would you pray for those who have been listening and tell us again, uh, is it that you said it, the NIV application on Revelation? Yeah. On Revelation to get all of the teaching that you and all of the understanding that you have about the book of Revelation. It's very important right now, people who are listening and watching. It's very important right now to get some of these things straight so that we're not carried away um, with some fantastic uh, thought that someone has that that uh, or, or some political ideology or some other sort of thing that really is not grounded and based in solid biblical theological understanding. We want to know that Jesus has something good and better for us. He's with us and that he has assured us that in the end, we will be with him. So Dr. Keener, please pray for us. Yeah. And the background commentary has all the background stuff on Revelation. So wonderful. Your Majesty, we we are eager for you to come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. The Spirit and the Bride say, "Come, establish your peace, your justice, your reign in this world." And until you come, Lord, help us to work for justice and peace, to be agents of your reign. Lord, thank you for your Spirit within us. Make us please what you've called us to be—a kingdom and priests for your honor and your glory. We live in apocalyptic times. We live in, in times as we have throughout church history, the last days since the day of Pentecost. Lord, we can depend only on you. We are the people of the end time, and we pray that you will use us as lights in this dark world until you come. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray this. Amen. Amen. Well, that's it that we have for today. And so I'll see you again next week on Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Move Forward, Dr. Kim Moss. Remember to visit CraigKeener.com for more of his teachings. I will see you again next week. And remember, never throw away your confidence. Keep moving forward. Thank you for joining us for the Move Forward podcast. We would love for you to rate this podcast and share it with a friend. You can connect with Dr. Kim on social media. For those links and more, visit her website, kimmoss.com. Host Dr. Kim Moss leads Kim Moss Ministries and Women of Our Time. She is the author of Prophetic Community, The Way of the Kingdom, Facing Ziklag, and The Four Questions. You can find those books on Amazon. Remember, never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward.